my friends, and welcome to another episode of Living in Hope. I am your host, Cassie Merritt. I have a treat for you guys. I got to sit down with my good friend, Debbie Stewart. She actually spoke at a women's retreat or a couple of women's retreats for our church. And in this interview, she's bringing on her son with her and they're going to be talking about the book that they wrote. I could not put it down. I really enjoyed it and you guys need to get a copy for yourselves. In this interview, we're gonna talk about his time before he went into prison. Jared actually ended up going to prison for, I believe it was 10 years. So we talk about what life was like before that and while he was in prison and even after now that he's out. And we also get Debbie's perspective, which is really great about this book. So it talks about Jared's story, but it also shares her perspective and some advice that she has as well. This is a little bit longer of an episode, so I'm going to go ahead and just dive in. Well, hello, Debbie Stewart and Jared. I am so happy to have you here on my computer today, joining me through Zoom. Debbie, you spoke at a couple of our um, women's retreats, right? Two of them. Yes, I just love sewing seed and being a part of the women's life there in that that area, the Washington area. So I get there as often as I can. I'm just falling in love with the women there. And what a great privilege it is for us to be with you today. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, of course, of course. And we, all of us at Camino Chapel, just absolutely love you. We also have your son here with us. I wish the other listeners could see him. He's he's quite handsome. I've I've described him before, (laughs) but I am thrilled. Oh, yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and have you, Jared, introduce yourself. Okay. Um, For the listeners, I'm Jared Stewart. I'm 32 years old, and uh, I'm a former prodigal. Got me into a little bit of trouble in, in life at a young age with drugs and wrote a book to tell my story about how to how I came through it from the other side was a little bit of divine intervention and uh, a little bit of maturity, a lot of love, and a whole lot more prayers from family. Tell them the name of the book. The, the, name, the name of the book is Redeemed Rebel, and it just has a lot of just real-life perspectives, basically like true crime instances and whatnot that have taken place through my life. And as my mom has experienced my life, we have her side of it jotted down as well from like the eyes of someone that's viewing a wayward child or family member or whatnot. So the subtitle of the book is 20 Perspectives from a Prodigal and His Mom. So we tried to put together, I I say we tried to put together, the Lord was very clear at different times to share with both of us, we need to put this story on paper. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture in Isaiah that says, write these things down for future generations so that they can be helpful and they can help give guidance. So we we, the Lord stayed after us and we put together what, what I tried to find when Jared began his years of prodigal living. I went to the bookstore to try to find something to help me. I'm, I'm an action plan, steps, keys, that kind of person. I, there wasn't anything on the shelf. I found just one little thing that had some poetry and some, some other little things, but there were no clear prayer strategies, no action steps, caution signs, blind spots to look for. How do you parent a prodigal? And then as he unfolds his story, then you'll know, as the as many of the listeners that were at the retreat know, after his prodigal journey, then he started up a journey 
through the prison system. So how do you parent? What do you do with someone who is in a downhill spiral in addiction and self-destructing before your very eyes? They're walking off into a dark place despite everything you have tried to do. They have walked away from the things of God and the enemy is pulling them ever so ever so um clearly as you're watching that happen so we tried to put together something that is a tool something that would be helpful yes and i read it and it is so good i could not put it down it you guys it's amazing and the fact jared that you wrote it while you were in prison which you will get to that i'm sure but let's go ahead and have you get into that let's have you share your story okay most definitely I can tell you from the very beginning, my childhood was was really amazing. Like, it's not a rags to riches story by any means. I've always had everything in place for me to be a successful person, a great Christian. But I guess I just kind of rebelled out of spite. At a young age, there's been a couple instances that have taken place in my life. My grandfather's death was a major one that kind of messed me up and kind of confused me on Jesus and the Lord, and because I kind of don't understand why bad things happen to good people at the age of 13, 14 years old. So I was already kind of hanging out with the wrong kids. School wasn't my favorite thing to do by any means. And, uh, you know, the combination of all that, it led to a little bit of marijuana use in the beginning, just a little social thing with a few high school friends and whatnot. But I have a very, I'm the type of person and you can use this for good or for bad, but I have a very addictive personality. When I like to do something, I just, I'm doing a hundred miles an hour, whether it's good or bad. So it can definitely be used for good, most definitely. But that's how I began as far as drug use went, because then it got to the point to where I wasn't even doing drugs with people. I wasn't smoking with other people. I, I would try to hide by myself so I don't have to share. And that's just the definition of, you know, a drug addict. I mean, it, I increased from marijuana to to barbiturates. That's that's like most people know that is like Xanax bars, um, prescription medication, and I just couldn't ever feel my appetite. You know, it's just like a bottomless pit, and I went on and on and on. And you know, I'm not giving any drug user any way out or any excuse or whatnot. But I can tell you, anyone who has not done drugs, one thing is the person that you are mentally while you're under the influence is not the real you. So I definitely know that for a fact, just because, I mean, I've, I've stolen from people who love me and care about me, and I've done all types of terrible things to people who wanted nothing but just me to live a great life, mostly my family for the most part, but good friends as well. And uh, it just spirals you so far out of control to where you don't know what right, what's right. I mean, you have one desire, and that's like, I have to get that fixed. And that's a crazy, desperate mindset, for sure, especially now looking back through sober eyes. But I've definitely seen that movie so many times with myself and with others. Anyway, so it went on to as far as, I mean, even as extreme as I used to use heroin intravenously. I mean, I was shooting up heroin, and I was in the last first fate. I mean, I would steal from anybody, didn't care about nothing. And uh, that was in about 2008, 2009. I was about 20 years old. And I mean, I just thought I was grown. I thought I knew everything, you know, and uh, it got to the point to where I can tell you, long story short is we, we robbed this lady and I went to prison for a robbery. I had an aggravated robbery charge and me and this, I guess, so-called friend, but just fellow drug user would be a better description. 
uh, we robbed this lady that we knew had some money. I mean, no one was hurt. And it was just a situation where there was some money that was stolen only for drugs. That was, that was the purpose. Anyway, he got, he got arrested. And when he did, he sold everything that we did, you know, and I mean, I don't blame him and I'm not mad about it. I'll be clear about that. But you know, he, what he did is he took a deal with the state to where he could say all the details of the crime, what we did, who we robbed, how we did it, what we did with the money, where we were at, all this and this and that. That way he would be able to get probation. By him testifying against me, get him probation, but they would have like pretty much a airtight case and a slam dunk case, so to speak, against myself. And I mean, I'm not mad about that at all because I deserved it for sure. But we can say that the, the consequences, and this is what uh, young people who are trying rugs and with Jared, he, it really kind of started with self-recreation and self-medication, and then it just continued to spiral out of control, and then the consequences were severe. And that's what I think young people do not realize. They think, oh, I'm not going to get caught. Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, I can stop anytime I want. Or, or, or it's just not going to have any consequences. And they're not thinking. And many of them are not even old enough to where the neuro pathways in the frontal lobe of their brain, young men, haven't developed enough to make the connection between action and consequences. And so when the consequences hit after years of drug use, they were severe. Uh, we tried to, to help Jared and, until you get to that place where you want help for yourself. And that's why we are doing this interview today. That's why we wrote the book is to try to speak into that. So many parents are like, I don't know what to do. And, but until um, prayer strategy is a big part of that, because until that person wants the help, you're not going to be able to help them. Would you agree? No doubt, for sure. Um, that's one of the hardest things that I tell people. There's a few little speaking things that I have lined out. I mean, nothing nothing major, just like with some little neighborhood kids. You know, they're, they're giving their parents all they can handle. They're out, they're sneaking out the house. They're smoking weed. There's no telling what else is going on at that age. But these are just high school kids. And honestly, that's what I feel the most comfortable is because I feel that going that you pretty much walking that walk of life in general would be more susceptible to the information that I could give. Whereas their mom or the preacher, they just feel like, Oh, they're just preaching to me. They're just telling me what I'm supposed to do. But with somebody like me, I mean, I was incarcerated for 10 years and five months and I'm not trying to preach to you. I'm not going to try to tell you what to do, but I will tell you the truth and I will give you inspiration and motivation. And I'll tell you some of my life experiences. And there's a lot of them that are not even in that book because there's no way we could have made it PG-13. You know, that also is pretty impactful to a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid, mm -hmm. you know, because, yeah, you're having all the fun with the drugs and whatnot right now. But, you know, one thing that I learned a long time ago is drugs might give you instant gratification. But one thing is in the long run, they will always mm -hmm. take way more than they can ever give. Like, that's, that's just a fact for sure. So what it ended up happening is uh, I was incarcerated, and that was in 2009. That was October 16th, and I was incarcerated at the age of 21 all the way till March 5th, 2020. So that's 10 years and five months, and today I'm 32 years old. And it's uh, been a long journey, but every single word of mine that's in this book, I wrote down with a pen and loose-leaf paper from a prison cell. I just – my main drive now is – it's not about the book. It's not about money. It's not about any of that. If you can prevent someone from taking the wrong turn and the fork in the road, then I definitely, I mean, I feel like that's a solid part of my purpose. 
And I'll speak to to the parents watching that happen, just going back to the day that he was arrested that he mentioned in October. It was October 16th of 2009. It was a Friday morning and two police officers walked into our home and went right upstairs where he was and they arrested him. And we knew some of what he was involved in, but not near the degree because he didn't do it in our home. We stayed on top of what was going on in our home and in his car and other places like that. But he'd be gone for days. We would not know where he was or anything. So that morning when he was arrested and put in the back of a police car, they gave my husband some information like who to call and what's going to happen, where he's going. Things we had no idea. We had not up until that point really been involved in criminal justice system or the law or any of those major things like that. And so I went to where I meet with the Lord. And one of the things I encourage people to do is spend time with the Lord every day. My challenge is 20 minutes a day for the rest of your life. And so I've tried to develop that personal walk and relationship with the Lord. So I have a place, a study where I meet and and they took him away. And my husband went to make the calls from that card they had given him. And I went into my study and I just threw myself on the chair that I prayed at every day before I left. I did my study at my desk. I'd always kneel at this particular chair and commit my day to the Lord and ask the Lord, why did you this. He, he is going to jail. We have begged you all of these years. Jared was a prodigal about six or seven years before he was ever arrested. And so begging the Lord for intervention, begging the Lord to deliver him for restoration and healing in his life from this addiction. So I'm like asking the Lord, why, why, would, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you deliver our son? And in my heart that morning, he said, I just did. And see, I had a preconceived idea of what deliverance ought to look like for our son. I had a had an idea it would be just like the prodigal in Luke 15, but that's not how it played out exactly in our life. Now, those principles from Luke 15 have played out in our life. And so as he has gone away to the far country, he had to come to his senses. But looking back, I love how the Lord just put in my heart that morning on one of the worst days of my life for the Lord to say, this is I know it doesn't look like it. I know it doesn't feel like it. I know you can't see it, but I have spoken about his life. And this is the path as hard as it was to deliverance and to redemption. Mm, That is awesome. Jared, so you did, you went into prison, not a believer, correct? I was raised in that environment, but as far as my personal faith, probably no. So can you break that down a little bit for us, what that process was and from going into prison, not really following Christ to coming to be a follower of Christ? Well, I will definitely tell you that the first probably four years, nothing really changed. Probably mm. about the first three for sure, it was just... Um, I was just angry and I was mad and I was still immature and I felt like my life had been taken away from me. I knew I'd be here for a long time and definitely not the best environment. So I was bitter and really made no progress as a person whatsoever for the first three or four years. But then there would just be little things that I would be at peace with throughout the day. I can't give you one particular instance that took place. I was like, bam, okay, I, I, I repent. I can't really think of that. It was kind of a slow burn type thing, a full transformation, so to speak. But one thing for sure was I matured. 
you know, and as I, the maturing process continued, I started acting more mature. I started thinking a lot more rationally. I've been sober for an extended period of time. I'm getting older. And then you kind of, in that environment, that's when you do a whole outlook of everything. You realize all the things that you've been taking for granted in life. You realize all the people and who care about you because in that particular situation, the only people that you're going to hear from are the people that have been there with you since day one because I had nobody with me the whole time I was incarcerated except for my family. And your grandma gave you a book, right? A devotional for you to read? That is that is true. Um, my grandma, one of her big concerns was my relationship with the Lord, which is for sure understandable, most definitely. But it was called Streams in the Desert. It's just a little daily devotional. But uh, that was the little thing that I kind of needed to kind of get me in the right direction because all it is is a paragraph, maybe two, with a couple scripture references for one day. So I wasn't really trying to read the Bible. I wasn't trying to get into the word. I knew I should, but that little bite-sized type testimonials or daily devotion, that was kind of the thing that started. And then I felt a little more at peace and now look up some scriptures. Then I would look up more scriptures that are related. And then I wanted to know a little more. And I just felt like day to day that it was continuing to get a little bit better, even though I was incarcerated. What was that like for you, Debbie, to see him? Like, did you start seeing a change in him as he was growing closer to God? We did, but that's when we realized his faith was becoming his own. Even though he was raised in a faith-based Christian home where we love the Lord, he had to do this thing with the Lord, and he had to decide for himself, am I going to turn my life over to the Lord and follow him, or am I just going to keep doing my own thing? And he, he came to a crossroad at some point, and again, it wasn't, I don't think, a particular day he could give a date to, but at some point in the journey, he realized, I need the Lord. I need the Lord to work in my life. I need the Lord to redeem my life. And he began following the Lord. And that's why 20 minutes a day is so important because you do it day by day and you do it step by step. And the more you do, the more the Lord draws you in. Just like the more you do drugs, the more the enemy draws you in. But the more you begin to look up those scriptures and the more you begin to pray, it brings peace in your life and it brings um, comfort. And the Lord began to sustain him in a, in a difficult place. So we, we began to watch his faith become his own. It looked different than what we thought, but that's how the Lord equipped him and then began to use him. And they would begin to share resources and he surrounded himself and even with men that would speak truth into his life and that would just challenge him to be the best man that he could be in that environment. There's gang activity. There's a lot of decisions. Um, Interestingly enough, we found out you can do drugs in prison as easily as you can do drugs out of prison and you can stay in trouble in prison. Nobody's going to make you choose right. But through that process, he chose the right kind of people and to make the right choices every day. And the Lord walked him through some dark times during that process. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, Jared? Like some of the things God has really had to walk you through during your time in prison? Yes, for sure. One thing, and this was this kind of shook my faith a little bit at the time was, my sister, uh, she had lost a child in, I believe it was 2016, 2015, 2016. And I had been incarcerated for about six years at this time. It was a stillborn, so it's pretty much a completely developed baby, you know, that's not alive. So that was super traumatic to my sister. I just never understood that because my sister, to me, is she's just like my mom. You know, she ain't did anything wrong. And it, 
even got to the point where I'd be like, man, can you get a speeding ticket or something? <laughs> like, you are making me look really bad right now. Can you please get one B on your report card? <laughs> just one. I just give that example of her just to let you know the type of woman that she is. Like, she's all, we're complete polar opposites. So I just cannot understand how the Lord would allow something tragic like that to take place. Like, they are super great parents, super great Christians, wonderful workers at the church. He's a head pastor at the church. But that shook me and it bothered me, but I could feel a heavy weight. And I just kind of felt my, I felt more and more at peace. And it just gets to the point to where you're just convinced, you know, and your, your trust and whatnot in the Lord is just basically like everything. You don't know why everything's going to happen, you know? You know, I'm not trying, I don't want to give a ton of different scenarios, you know, but there's just so many odd and end things that could take place, you know, and you never really know what the Lord is protecting you from. Big example of that with me is I know now that the Lord protected me with my incarceration and he saved my life because of it. I know that for a fact because the life that I was leading, either I could have easily overdosed on heroin and died. I, I had a friend overdose and it's actually in the book. But um, either that or a drug deal gone bad. I'm steady communicating with shady characters and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it could have been a thousand different ways that I could have died from that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely going two places, and that was to prison or death. I'm just glad that it was prison for me. And one scripture that has helped us is Hosea 2.15. It's kind of an obscure verse, but the Bible says in Hosea 2.15 that he will turn the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. He did that for us. I mean, like we literally watched that happen. He turned the most tragic, the most devastating, one of the most painful things. And I've, I've lost my mom and my dad, several other relatives. We've gone through this with our granddaughter that we lost. And, but the, the pain of, of watching someone make these decisions and, and be involved in addiction like that, that you're unable to help. And then also in Ezekiel 14, 23, the Bible says, You shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done, saith the Lord. So we don't understand why he's allowed certain things, why these consequences were severe, why we walk, walk through that. But we made a choice together as a family to trust the Lord. And then Jared had to make that choice for himself to trust the Lord and to walk with the Lord. And together he walked our family through this journey. And now we are watching him use this. And our prayer and our intent is to bring him glory through this process. The Bible says what the enemy intends for evil, God means for good. And by golly, we're going to get to the good. I mean, let's, so many people quit, but we cannot quit on those that are battling addiction. You've got to fight for your family. And I think that's one of the things that helped Jared through the process was to know we were never going to quit on him. We're going to fight for you with our last breath. We're going to fight for you. And that's what Nehemiah chapter 4 says. You're going to have to fight for your sons, your daughters. You have to fight for your family. Fight for your family. Man, I love that. And I think it's awesome that you write your perspective, Debbie, that you write what your emotions were during this time and giving advice to those who may be going through the same thing. Because I can only imagine how hard that would be 
be. But to hear something like that, to hear never give up on your family, when sometimes there's people out there that say, you need to just walk away. You have to step away from this. But here you are saying that. And I think it's awesome for people to hear that, to be able to get that advice from somebody who now is seeing their their son, their child, now living a life with Christ. Is there any other advice that you would like to give right now? You know, if there's a parent who is listening that might be going through something similar, what would you like to say to them? So I tried to make a list myself. I'm a list maker and I tried to think of what what are the what are the best practices? You know, I do that in, in ministry. You know, what are the best practices for women's ministry? How can I equip myself to be the best women's ministry leader? How can I sharpen my tools? So I used that same, that same strategy I, I put in my life as the mom of a prodigal. So a mistake that I made was early on, I was offended by it. The Bible says, blessed are those who are not offended by me. And it hurt my feelings. And I'm, I'm saying to the Lord this, how unfair, you know, th- we raised him right. And, and why would this happen? And, and I realized I had not taken the right approach, nor the right perspective, nor the right attitude about where we were in this journey. And so the Lord brought me to a breaking point And I asked for forgiveness about uh, my feelings and my emotions about the pain that we were experiencing. And I committed that day to the Lord. If you have given me this assignment, I had never looked at it as an assignment that the Lord had chosen me for. I just felt like it's not right. It's not fair. You know, this should not have happened to me. And I don't know, I guess I thought I deserved better. I cannot even imagine how warped my thinking was in the process. But through that breaking process, I said, if this is the assignment, that you have chosen for me. And I can only speak for me. My husband was right along with us in this whole process. And that's his part of the story to tell. But for me, as the mom of a prodigal, if this is my assignment, then I am making the decision today to be the best mom of a prodigal that ever walked the face of this earth. I'm going to figure out what a mom of a prodigal does every day. I'm going to figure out a prayer strategy. I'm going to stop whining my prayers and crying my prayers, and I'm going to get proactive in fighting for this kid and figuring out what I do as his parent. So when my attitude changed from feeling sorry for myself or pity or not fair or I'm too exhausted, this is so hard to do, I stopped looking at it from that perspective. And it changed my attitude completely. I'm like, devil, if he, if he goes down, he's he's going down with a fight from, from his mom. And, and if I go out, if it kills me, he's going to take a beat down on my way home because I'm going to do everything that I can possibly do. And so you, you have to fight for your family. And I realized there are healthy boundaries that you have to put in place. We did that. We, there were some boundaries, some healthy. We, we were not going to live in dysfunction to this addiction. We had another child in our home at the time before he was incarcerated that we needed to protect as well. So we put in those healthy boundaries. But I, it made sense to me after all of this, where the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. That made sense to me. Mission accomplished as far as her plan to be the best parent of a prodigal. I turned into a hey, pit bull about I, I thank the Lord every day she didn't give up. And when you just change, you know, a change of perspective gives you some divine strength to go like, I, I can do this another day. I can't say I'm going to do this for another month, but for today, I can do it for today. 
we're going to do this thing together. With the, well, he promises his help, and he promises his presence, and he promises to bring something good out of it. And we're now at a place where we're watching the fruit of that, of Jared's choices and decisions. The Lord has blessed him in a very sweet relationship. The Lord has blessed him with a great job that he has. And his life is starting to, as he's rebuilt his life, turning into uh, a dream come true, I'd say. Just happy ever after, for sure. Happily ever after. Oh, man, that gave me chills. Um, Debbie, what was the day like when he was released? Can you take us to that day and what it looked like for you guys? Yeah, that this was uh, this was a defining moment in our life. So March the the fifth. My husband had had a heart transplant in January. So he was six weeks post-op of a heart transplant. And we had to sit on the uh, parking lot for quite some time. They told us to be there at 8.15 and, and that he'd be out about 10.30. Uh, long story short, he did not come out till 2.30, uh, almost three o'clock that afternoon, somewhere between that. So we were exhausted. It was hot. We couldn't go inside. They wouldn't let us use the restroom inside, even though my husband had this serious medical thing going on uh they were not helpful that day at all and so as we as we were waiting and watching and then beginning to believe he's not he's not coming out today just for various reasons we began to think that and sure enough he did and and when he did we watched him stand in front of a huge iron like a cast iron gate an old one you could tell it was old it's on that pulley system and uh we heard a horn blow And he walked to a gate and he stood there and it took a while for that gate to open up on that system. And then he walked across a line in the concrete into freedom. And that's what we hope our story is for people today, that somehow today can be a line that you cross to freedom, to those that are in addiction that might be listening to this on the radio station that have battled this addiction and just cannot seem to stop even though they want to. Or maybe those are are listening, they don't even want to stop. But there is a line that the Lord brings you to and you make decisions and you step into freedom and he stepped into freedom that day and we have been experiencing the rejection the restoration and the deliverance of the lord wow that is so incredible to hear and you know i'm curious jared what does your life look like today could you share a little bit about what life is like now that you are out yes most definitely um i've been blessed in so many ways and uh first and foremost, there's a couple guys at the church that have prayed for me, prayed for my father, and um, they've they've given me a couple opportunities for employment and whatnot. And now I'm I'm happy to say that I'm a employee at Texas Filter Service. So I, uh, I work in a warehouse and we pretty much pretty much deal with air filters for commercial and residential and whatnot uh, all over the state of Texas. And uh, it's a great opportunity. You know, the ceiling is, is high in this company. It's a great Christian owner. He's a great member at the church. He's a wonderful guy. And I just, my main focus is just not to let him down for giving me a chance because of my background, you would be surprised at how hard it is just to get an opportunity just to prove yourself, mm-hmm. you know. That's definitely my mindset now. And uh, my job is amazing. I, I love going to work and I love working hard. And another thing is uh, uh, the Lord put a very special woman in my life 
a few months back, and uh, it's been it's been amazing to experience this relationship. It's unlike anything that I've experienced. Uh, this girl is, is pretty special. Never been more sure about anything in life. And one thing I want to share with parents, like from here, you know, what what do you do? It's it's in Judges five twenty one that says, "March on, oh my soul, in courage. Just march on in courage, in bravery. Be brave and be strong, and allow the strength of the Lord to work through you." And um, we're watching the other side of that now. What the enemy intended. We went through the evil part. We walked through that. The Lord means for good. And I believe we're just now starting that side of it. His promises are true and he can be trusted. Uh, I absolutely love that. Uh, You guys, I could sit here and chat with you all day and listen about your story. But where can our listeners get your book before we go? I want to touch on that. Where can they find the book and get a copy? So they can just go to Debbie Stewart on Facebook or Jared Stewart. It's S-T-U-A-R-T. And we we do some posts together, and you can just email or just message me through Facebook. I'm Women's Minister at Green Acres Baptist Church in Tyler, Texas. Uh, You can contact me through Green Acres Women's Ministry. Anything like that. We've had several churches that have made this, uh, uh, done a Bible study for prodigals or parents of prodigals, made it into a Bible study. Again, we tried to put it together where it's a tool. My favorite thing about the book is not only the different perspectives, but the prayer strategies that are in the, uh, the back of every chapter. There's prayer strategies on how to pray through these particular times. So, yeah, Debbie Stewart um, on our Facebook page, Instagram, any of those. And also, it's $15 and then uh, I think $3 in shipping. And we've also kind of set a goal, have been working toward a goal to get one in the prison library, Every everyone in Texas. That's where we're going to start is providing them. So so purchase it help us to do that, provide one in the prison libraries. Oh, I absolutely love that. Okay, and I will be sure to link those things as well so they can easily find you. But man, thank you so much for joining me here. And I am just so happy for you, Jared and Debbie. It looks like God has done amazing things in your life and he's using you for his glory. And I absolutely love that. Uh, Thank you for having us. Yes, for his glory indeed. More to come. Thanks again. Wasn't that such a great story? I mean, man, I could have sat there all day listening to them. It is just so inspirational. I mean, man, we we see Jared go from being addicted to drugs and spending years in prison, and now he's walking with Christ. And the awesome thing is, is he's thankful for his time in prison because that's when God really worked in him, and that's what got him to where he is today. I think that's pretty awesome that he can be thankful for that. But I love hearing both perspectives. I love hearing Debbie's advice. And even if you don't have a child who's going through this, their book is still a great read. I mean, I have a two and a five-year-old and I still thoroughly enjoyed it. So get your hands on a copy and I will be sure to link that in the description. But thank you guys so much for listening today. And I cannot wait till next week for the next story.